my, me- my point of the message is this, that the dwelling place of God now in the new covenant is in us as believers. The Holy Spirit comes in when we have faith in the Lord Jesus, and he makes his dwelling actually in the life of the believer. And so he is actually in us, and we, you have to believe this, but it is reality, whether you don't believe it or not. But just like if someone were to say, no, no, I've given you a certain asset, you can use my lawnmower, as it were, you, until you believe it, you're not going to go get the lawnmower and fire it up and start using it for your own purposes unless you believe me, right? So God says, no, I've given you your, my Holy Spirit, and he, he gives us the fruit of the Spirit. He gives us gifts of the Spirit that prove his evidence as well. The greatest fruit of the Spirit is love. Love is the evidence of the abiding presence of God. And John, who writes this gospel, says, we love God because he first loved us. His mercy so great, his compassion, his uh, loving kindness, his, uh, the Hebrew word is hesed, it's new every morning. And what that means is, is I love you no matter what. He pursues us with a, a vital, uh, vigorous, uh, enduring love. Amen? Isn't that good? So we are the dwelling place of God. Let's read in John chapter 2, starting in verse 13. It reads as follows. It says, The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He went up to Jerusalem from Galilee. I didn't bring a map up. You might have one in the back of your Bible. But the Passover celebrated the Exodus. And every spring in, in March or April, it's, it's always timed when our Easter is pretty, pretty close. It, uh, it, it's that, that time and of the year. And Easter changes, right, in March or April. So that's when Passover is. It means that the, because they, every family, every home, took a lamb and sacrificed it and placed its blood over the door, everybody who believed what God said about that was saved from the angel pass, angel of death passed over them. So death passed over the people of God. And for 1,400 years, although the Old Testament tells us that there were periods of time in which Israel didn't actually celebrate this, but after they got back from Babylon, they were very faithful to remember this every year in Jerusalem. And so people needed to walk a long ways from Galilee to Jerusalem to remember Passover. So Jesus does this. In the temple, Jesus found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. The pigeons and sheep and oxen, and there were other things for sale too, were because you wouldn't take a pigeon on like an 80-mile, three-week journey or an oxen or something like this. You would just purchase one there in Jerusalem. And so they're there for people to sacrifice at Passover time at the temple. Temple means dwelling place, dwelling place of God. In the Old Covenant, they had 1,400 years before Jesus and about 3,400 years before us. They had, which it's amazing to think about how ancient this is. This is a model of the tabernacle. The word tabernacle, which later, when you don't construct it out of acacia wood and uh, animal skins for this covering and everything, and linen white for the fence and everything. When they constructed it in 1000 BC under King Solomon, David had the plans for it, but his son Solomon built it with stone. 
the tabernacle becomes temple. But the word tabernacle or the word temple, it means dwelling place of God. And this is a model. If you haven't seen this before, you can certainly take a look at it. In fact, somebody, Joe, would you just put it out in the lobby? And you could look at it afterwards, pull the cover off, and see what's inside. It was all covered with gold, and uh, that's a fun thing. You can get off, off Amazon, by the way, and do one up yourself if you really want to. But maybe, maybe there's no takers. Uh, that was what the tabernacle looked like. This is what the temple looked like in Jesus' day. Now, this is a model also, but imagine this, this structure uh, that dominated one quarter of the city of Jerusalem in 30 AD when Jesus shows up here. This is the city in the background. The temple courts, this large square, would have been the court of the Gentiles. This inner court is where the Jews would go, called the court of the women, meaning that women and men could all be there. When you pass through this gate inside here in the temple proper, this was where just the priests would go with the sacrifices. Uh, this place was incredible. Here's some other pictures of it. The Jewish historian Josephus said this. He said, now, don't just look at the picture, but imagine in your mind this it's got white on the outside, and it's got some gold on it also. We don't exactly know where the gold is. Some people think it was the whole face, which this is the eastern face. So when the sun rises over here, it would have reflected off this side. And then as the sun went down in the west, right, it goes down in the west, it would have been, you know, on reflecting off the, more of the white side. Uh, Josephus says this. He says, the exterior of the building wanted nothing that could astound either mind or eye, for being covered on all sides with massive plates of gold, the sun was no sooner up than it radiated so fiery a flash that persons straining to look at it were compelled to avert their eyes as from solar rays. To approaching strangers, it appeared from a distance like a snow-clad mountain, for it was for all that was overlaid with gold was of purest white, meaning that there were portions of this building uh, several stories tall from a distance that all you would see is, is the white, so hence they thought it was the snow. So they had a paint project going also <laughs> at certain times. This is a, another, you know, recreation of it this would have been the gate right here that you would have went in and the animals were probably brought in through other gates but the priest could go through this thing we think that one of these these rooms over off the side here was the actual senate chambers of the sanhedrin the 70 elders of israel of which belonged joseph of arimathea nicodemus the high priest caiaphas and ananias that when they met, they would meet in uh, these rooms just off the temple in, in this structure here. Herod the Great was the guy who built this thing, and I'll tell you more about that in, uh, in just a moment. But this thing was, was absolutely amazing. I mean, Jesus was dedicated in this building. You look at different times, uh, it was this structure, though it wasn't, you know, Herod the Great's the one that supersized the thing, but it was this structure in Solomon's day, Solomon prays. He says, oh, Lord, this is the place that we're going to pray to because it's the dwelling place of God, right? And he says, if you would answer this prayer, 
you know, please at this place, then, you know, we're going to be praying to this place. And God answers Solomon by fire descending upon the altar in the court of this place. You can't see the altar out in the court, but they had a brazen altar where they would make these sacrifices. Every morning, about nine in the morning, a lamb. Every afternoon, about three in the afternoon, another lamb. For hundreds upon hundreds of years, etching into the psyche of the worshipers of God, the descendants of Abraham, that how do you come to the dwelling place of God? You come there through the blood of a lamb. And so John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. Behold that Lamb. And do you know what happened when Jesus died outside the city walls on the cross of Calvary, inside the temple? What happened? The veil, which was a handbreadth hand breadth wide, it was that thick of a cloth, as thick as your hand. That was how thick the cloth was. It tore from top to bottom, signifying that the way to God has now been opened because the true heavenly high priest has shed his blood, not the blood of bulls and goats, but he's opened the way. And it's, just, it's, it's the core message of the Bible is that God does not dwell in temples made with hands anymore. He dwells in temples that he made. And you look at the human body with all of its wonder you know, people, they, they look at DNA and they're just absolutely astounded at the complexity and the intelligence and, and the beauty of DNA. Amen? Amen. And, and, and so we're, we're the temples that God has made. And, and the whole thing was this thing prefigured all along the body of Jesus. So we're going to see that. I'm getting a little ahead of myself. They sold animals at absolutely ridiculous rates. Does anyone know what a a cow would go for today what would a cow go for tell me if anyone can down at the market you know down at the stockyard what do you think a thousand bucks let's say a thousand you wanted to sacrifice a cow okay well they in this temple yeah you would it was going to be more money right because you're you're getting it from them so it was already marked up maybe the the market price for them there was 1500 but then they were going to mark it up even more. Maybe you're paying $2,500 for what should have been a $1,000 cow to begin with. It was just absolutely ridiculous. They had to exchange money to pay their temple tax because they'd have other types of coins and they wanted it in the temple currency. So not only, you, you would pay twice and three times the cost of what you were really supposed to pay to exchange your money. And they were doing all this, by the way, they were doing it in this area between this giant outer wall and this inner area here. They were doing that money changing and everything inside the temple courts. Uh, years previous to this, they would do it out in a different area out in, the, out in the valley. But this entire area, some people say, could have held at these giant festivals like Passover and Tabernacles. Some people estimate upwards of 100 thousand worshipers could be in these giant courts so the size was there for them to have a marketplace but they were charging people exorbitant rates for the animals the birds as well as exchanging money the temple was an incredible uh, wealth production system all in the name of continuing to support this building and its worship system 
We talk about, you know, wealth-producing mechanisms in our world today, but it, it, we can't really imagine how this was done in the ancient world all on the backs of poor worshipers, okay? Uh, to the point that the only part that survives today is the Western Wall. Now, this is amazing to look at these pictures, like with these walls like this. The Western Wall is the far wall. We're looking at it from the east. So Jerusalem's over there. This valley, like where we would be looking at this picture, this is the Kidron Valley that Jesus and his disciples walk out upon. And over here in the picture is the Mount of Olives where the Bible says that Jesus will return. But you, Herod built these giant, he had them built, these giant walls with stones that we can still see today on the far side at the western wall. Now you can see how this whole thing was built up and the temple would have been like right here, okay? But over here is the Dome of the Rock that's been there since, you know, after the time of Muhammad, like the 7th century, 8th century, something like that. It's the third most holiest site to Islam, and yet this is the holiest site to the Jews today because it's all that remains of their temple. Here is the Western Wall again. The only thing that remains, and it's just that far outer wall, and you can see the, the scope and size of this whole temple mount and the fact that part of it is taken up with the Dome of the Rock, but in Jesus' day, all this wouldn't have been trees, but it would have all been you know brick pavement and a superstructure of tunnels underneath where you could come in this, these outer gates like at the wall level and go upstairs and eventually come out, you know, several stories higher on this thing. Now, isn't that amazing? In the year 70 AD, uh, a Roman general with Egyptian, Syrian, Arabian, and Turkish troops under his command destroy the temple and and many people think that titus didn't actually give the order but that it was it, it began you know it the, when they got in and, and and got there they began f fires that melted the gold into these giant stones of the the big white temple itself and then they began tearing apart those stones to get at the gold now, in the treasuries, which were also around, you know, some of these areas around here, these buildings, this was to store silver and jewels and gold. And in the ancient world, the temple was also the central bank because it was, you wouldn't want to rob the thing because it was a form of blasphemy as well as a criminal act. So these were secure places and they were religious places. Okay, 70 AD, the, the temple's destroyed and the riches are taken to Rome to build this structure. That is how much money was in the treasuries of the temple. So that Titus and his dad, I think his dad was Vespasian, who was the emperor at the time, and then Titus becomes the emperor of Rome. They bring all these riches into Rome and they build the Colosseum with the proceeds of the Jerusalem temple. Some historians think that the Colosseum, this is it today. Oh, I didn't put a picture of it up, but you can, you can Google it or whatever, you know. It doesn't look this nice. 
they think, though, that that piece of real estate is the, the piece of real estate in a small location where more people have died than any other place on the planet because it was the place of gladiatorial combat. Now, the death camps of the Nazis might rival the Colosseum, but certainly the Colosseum is, is certainly one of the places where more people have died than any other place in the whole world. So that's part of the narrative of the temple at Jerusalem. And the narrative goes on. I mean, you go back to the Old Testament, and so many things happen at the tabernacle or the temple. This is the place where Hannah prays for her boy Samuel. And, and then Samuel later is the one who anoints David. This is, you know, David had in his mind, Lord, I want to build you a house. And God says, no, I'm going to build you a house. And as a result of thinking about this place, God gives this Davidic covenant to the family of David, which Jesus is a descendant of David. This whole temple thing is interwoven into the different covenants of the Bible. So it's a very important place. But the exchange of animals and, and money and all these different things was a violation of what God said about this place. He said that it would be a house of prayer for all the people groups of the world, a place of prayer for all the nations. The word in the New Testament for the different people groups of the world is, is a beautiful world. Does it, I've, I've said it before. Does anyone know what that word is? We, we say Gentile, but the word in the New Testament is ethnos ethnic people all of us are the ethnic people of the world the word ethnic means non-jew in the new testament god wanted to bless all of us and if all they saw was was people being taken advantage of in the place of prayer then it was like how are they going to see god and so today still as a community we are called to be that house of prayer so jesus was upset and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen, and he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away, do not make my father's house a house of trade or a house of merchandise. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. That's Psalm 69, Psalm 69. So the Jews said to him, What sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Now, it's interesting because this kind of would confuse us if it weren't for us knowing what he's talking about. What is the temple that he's saying that he's going to raise? It's his body. They didn't know this, the Jewish officials, and yet this was like a, it got stuck in their, their craw, or what's that saying, you know? It got stuck in their mind, and when he's on trial, when they're accusing him and making up false stuff, they say about Jesus, he said he would destroy the, the temple and raise it in three days. So they remembered it, word for word. When he's up on the cross, People will walk by and they'll say, hey, isn't he the one that said, destroy this thing and I'll raise it up in three days? So they remembered exactly what he said, but there's a mystery of what he said, and I'll uh, unpack the mystery in just a moment. Uh, this is Herod the Great uh, in the movie The Nativity Story. 
uh, you know, you know, a movie. So that, that's not really him, of course. Um, but Herod the Great is the guy who uh, who built this thing, the the temple. Uh, okay, so in the New Testament. It says, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the mystery, that the physical body of Christ is what the temple was foreshadowing for 1,400 years. And it's kind of a lesson of its own, but like the fact that in the tabernacle, you only come in one way, everything else is fenced off. Uh, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Uh, the, the apostles preach. There's no other name given among men by which people can be saved except the name of Yeshua. And so that's just a lesson of the gate. You get to the, you get to the brazen altar and you learn that it's, you only come by the blood of a lamb. And, and you get to the, there's lessons in everything. But the lesson is this, is that God transforms sinners into saints by work of the high priest atoning for our sins. And there's just lesson upon lesson that says Jesus is the temple. The work of coming to God was accomplished in Jesus' physical body. That's why we partake of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the mystery is this, that in the New Covenant it says, now you, that's all of you who have faith in the Lord Jesus, you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. So it's a little bit of a mystery, right? And yet, when you realize, oh, I'm, I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm a temple of God now. I'm part of the body of Christ. Uh, it does something for you because uh, God doesn't yoke himself to garbage. God doesn't call to himself, you know... It, it enables us to have a high view of ourselves because we have a high view of Jesus. Everything that Jesus touches is absolutely amazing. And when he adopts us to be, you know, when the Father adopts us to be fathers and sons of the Most High and Jesus calls us to be his brothers and sisters, we're a whole new creation uh, at that point. So the Jews then said, back in John's Gospel, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you will raise it up in three days. So they, yeah, it, they were, it had been 46 years before that Herod had built this thing. But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. So Warren Wiersbe says about this event, he says, all the ceremonies and sacrifices of the Jewish religion centered in the temple. When Jesus suggested that their precious building would be destroyed, their angry reaction was predictable. After all, if his body is the temple, then the Jewish temple would be needed no more. The legal system had ended. And that's exactly what happened, is that we'd come to no building to worship. Now, we have today actually done that, but, you know, the fact that we do it, I'm not suggesting a different form, but in China today, the communist government is destroying building after building after building. And yet the church meets in homes and restaurants and, and in alleyways and wherever they can. And they pray for one another. And they share the goodness of God with other people because 
This is what happens when the gospel goes underground. It, it, is, it is purified. And, and not that God doesn't want to purify us and isn't doing wonderful things, but it's not because of this building that anything happens. Now, it's a wonderful blessing, and there's other churches that meet in buildings, but the church began in homes, and many people think that the church will end in homes as well. Small gatherings of believers. Do you, do you know what I'm after? I'm not trying to like talk bad about anything that we've done that you know is a blessing in our life, but what God is doing in the heart of the believer, the fact that when we have problems, he wants to come in and just be merciful and cleanse us of those problems because we are the temple and the place where we have fellowship with God is right in our own heart and our own mind. When we open up the scripture, when we look it up on our smartphone, when we realize, really? I love him because he first loved me. Really, mercy triumphs over judgment. Is God really that good to me? Yes, he is. I can really do all things through Christ who strengthens me? Yes. I woke up the other morning and I just praise God. It doesn't always happen, but there's times where through the night I'm thinking thoughts about God. And I woke up thinking about how merciful God was that he spared Noah and his family from the flood and how merciful God is that he spared us from all of our sin and iniquity and, and problems and he's in the mercy business he's in the compassion business he's in the redemption uh, salvage business you could think of him as a, a junkyard dealer except you're not junk anymore but he can he can redeem those junky things about our life, you know, that, that we thought there was no purpose. He can refashion it and, and, and shine it up and realize all of a sudden this thing's beautiful that he's doing in my life. This is the story of redemption. It's our story. So in Ephesians it says this, or actually two, two scriptures, 1 Corinthians six nineteen. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? Now, here's the deal. Together, we're all the temple of God, the dwelling place of God. This is where God dwells when God's people get together. But individually, we're, we're also, I had that scripture up there also. You are the body of Christ and individually members of it. So it's together we're the temple of God and individually we're the temple of God also. So sometimes when we need encouragement or we just need to hear the gospel communicated, once again, the goodness of God it's so important that, that we get with somebody else and hear it once again to be renewed in the truth of what it is. And that's what we're doing this morning, but it happens down at Starbucks and it happens, you know, in homes and it happens over the phone and over text messages and, and prayer line requests and other ways in which we are to be encouraging one another, building one another up. This project's been going on for more than 46 years. This project's been going on for 2,000 years since Jesus, or, you know, about 1,980 years or so since Jesus, right? Am I doing? No, actually, about 1,990 years now since Jesus, because he died about, I think it was 33 AD. Um, and, yeah, sorry, I get up on to technicality sometimes, like a little bit of, uh, yeah, OCD, I think you said, so... Uh, my initials, though, if we're talking letters this morning and alphabet soup, m my, no, my, my initials to my name, Mark Russell Seitz, are M 
MRS, which is like Mrs., right? Kind of funny. But then if I'm a, if I'm a pastor, it's PMS, which is interesting. <laughs> pastor Mark, Pastor Mark cites. Okay, final scripture. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Holy Spirit. There's lots of different things you could think about this. Who's doing the building? Are you doing the building? Dwelling place means temple. You are a temple, so you need to confess. You need to wake up every day. And I need, I, you know, I don't do this perfectly either, but I would be more blessed if I do. Oh, Lord, I'm being built into the dwelling place of God. This is an ongoing work. It is accomplished in God's eyes, and yet he's doing the work of my life. I am where the Lord dwells. I can have fellowship with him. And we're not God, but the fact that he chooses to dwell within us I was thinking about this the other day. It's almost like when we just use our choice, he's already given us the power, and when we use our choice to do the right things, then the power of God is released in our world. When we choose, you get a little stirring, and you're like, I just want to bless somebody. I want to smile. I want to make this world a little bit better place. You know, where do those things come from? It's because in Christ, you are the dwelling place of God and you're not doing the building you're not the one who's who's working on this thing or trying to get the gold up on your life or paint all the blemishes off of yourself the Holy Spirit is the one who is building you Christ is building you up so saints let him do the work realize just how precious you are in God's sight if you get hold of this word this morning, it will be a word of freedom for you because you realize that it's not your striving that God's after or that ultimately you're after. You can just, you can just be in Christ, the dwelling place of God. Amen?